Sup Thrill Seekers, I'm Connor. And I'm Dev, and you're listening to Mass Hysteria. Welcome back to Mass Hysteria, everybody. Welcome one. Welcome all. Honey, you're acting like we haven't recorded in a month. I know. It just, it feels so good to be back to our routine. Connor was away last week, so we had to pre-record two episodes. I was. uh, And the crazy thing is this week, we are still not out of New Hampshire. We don't want to leave. In fact, we're almost in the same place we were for last week's episode. Some call this the quarantine podcast. We're just hanging out to ski, still trying to learn. <laughs> still trying to learn. <laughs> One not, of us is still on the bunny hill. It's not going well. Um, but he's right. Our case this week begins in the White Mountains in New Hampshire. Um, this case is one of, if not the largest missing person case in all of New Hampshire. And we're preparing ourselves appropriately with this backdrop in the podcast studio. <laughs> Um, our lovely, charming, wonderful landlord, Winnie, has provided us with a studio space that honestly feels like we are immersing ourselves in the mystery. Would you Would you agree? I do. I do. And um, without further ado, we ready to start? We sure are. So to set the scene, it is 2004. We're out of the 80s, sadly. Um, so think back to 2004. Napoleon Dynamite had just come out. Tina, you fat lard. Come and get some dinner. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was literally just watching that clip earlier today. This isn't planned. <laughs> this is just our pathetic lives. <laughs> oh, my God. You remember those headbands that were really popular? They had the claw teeth and they'd make indentations in your hair. Um, why do I get the feeling that you wore those more than I did? Because I was obviously more on top of trends than you were. Nothing's changed, babe. So anyway, the scene is 2004. Facebook is just about to launch. The era of social media is about to begin. Isn't that crazy to think that Facebook came out in 2004? <laughs> that is wild. I was nine. I was, yeah. Yeah, we were nine. We were like in fourth or fifth grade. So while you may think that we're being cheeky right now, since we have a knack for being that way, and, you know, it's important. <laughs> Hunter just slapped, just slapped his facial cheeks. Yes. Um, <laughs> so cheeky. He didn't clap the other cheeks yet, Um, but had there been an extensive collection of social media out there today when this case happened, I think, I mean, I think we both think that this would have ended completely differently. Oh, yeah. And this case is unsolved, and worse yet, um, the more time you spend immersed in it, the more theories you'll find. So it's really never-ending, but before we dive into the theories and the potential explanations for what happened... We need to establish the cold, hard facts. So instead of diving right into the case at the beginning, let's actually start at the end. On February 9th, 2004, a 1996 Saturn crashed on the side of a bendy road in Haverhill, New Hampshire at 7.27 p.m. There were three houses with a view of the accident scene. Neighbor one phones 911 at 7.30 p.m. She claims there's a young woman and a young man at the scene. The man is smoking a cigarette. This piece about there being a man there was later redacted, but we think it's very important to share. So then neighbor number two, his name was Butch Atwood. That's a great name. It's totally a name that like, like this character would exist in like Gilmore Girls. Hey there, I'm Butch Atwood. 
Anyway, so he sees the crash and drives his bus <laughs> a few hundred yards over to the site. I'm, I'm not laughing. I'm just laughing because only in the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire, would someone just be like, let me just take my bus on over and see what's going on. Um, fun fact, Connor has ridden a bus like five times in his whole life. I don't even think it's been five times. I don't think Probably three. We would take a bus. <laughs> he would get really excited. Was and I was like, excited. this is embarrassing. <laughs> we are 17 years old. He loved it. Um, so anyway, he drives his bus a few hundred feet over to the site of the accident. He opens the doors and he asks the young woman standing there if she needs any help. Um, so she tells him that she's already called AAA. So Butch, the, the man that was driving the bus, he knows this is a lie. There is absolutely no cell service in the area or honestly all of New Hampshire for being all of remote New Hampshire. That's true. Um, so it's impossible that she had phoned AAA. Assuming maybe she just did not want to accept help from a stranger, he calls 911 around 7.40 from his own home. He then waits in his bus, in his driveway, flipping through some paperwork until the police show up at 7.46. When the police arrive, they look around the area. The car is there, crashed on the side of the road, and facing the opposite direction as traffic. So it to paint this picture, um, it looks like she basically spun around and ended up on the opposite side of the road going with her car facing the other way. But there is absolutely nobody in sight. So what happened in the span of less than 20 minutes? Well, if you're familiar with New Hampshire true crime, you're probably no stranger to the rabbit hole that is the case of Maura Murray. And just like a little side note, it's kind of ironic because my sister's name is Maura. So shout out to Maura. Also shout out to Winnie, who we already shouted out. That's my brother. He has this provided a lovely forest cathedral for us to this beautiful like a hundred foot space to podcast hundred square foot space if we're lucky and Uh, we love it we absolutely love it so yeah it is kind of weird to read more because i feel like i think your sister is the only mora that i know uh yeah i think she's the only mora i know too um sadly she has not disappeared yet not yet she's in hawaii (laughs) she's living her life mora we miss you connor's connor's lashing out because he misses you (laughs) she knows Um, how i am but more <laughs> La- that was me lashing out. That was yeah. That okay. wasn't latching. What I mean, lashing. That was lashing. Those lash of a whip. L a s h. Okay. Okay. Anyway, let's let's go back to Maura Murray. Sometimes I forget English. Okay, so Maura disappeared that night, February 9th, two thousand four. We also thought this case was relevant to talk about now because we're obviously in the middle of February. Right. Um. And on February 9th, 2004, when she disappeared, she has not been found since. So her case, it's over 17 years later now, still remains unsolved and open. There are many theories around what could have happened to Maura. Her story is a wild one, so let's dive in. At the end of this episode, though, we will be interested to know what you think happened to 21-year-old Maura Murray. So since we took you to the end, let's now start at the beginning with what we know about Maura. So Maura was a star athlete, and obviously I... Can fully relate. Uh, Connor runs faster than me, though, so I'll give him that. <laughs> I mean, it's relative. <laughs> <laughs> What's your um, mile time? Uh, <laughs> like five minutes, uh, uh, like 100 feet. Take yep, me five yep. minutes to run 100 feet. Yards, 100 <laughs> yards, come on. Um, so obviously I fully relate. Star athlete like me. She was lean. She was fast. She played soccer and she ran track her whole life. She was very competitive and dedicated to her sport. So Maura was part of a large family. I also relate. Yeah, Connor's family is quite large. Um, it, meaning there's a lot of them, not that they're large people. 
Um, large and in charge. Large mean. and in charge. No, but yeah, Maura uh, was one of five siblings. So she had two older sisters, Kathleen and Julie, and two brothers, Kurt and Fred Jr. This is so weird. Kurt. Connor has, a bro- I, has an older brother named Kurt. Okay. So her family was close growing up. Her sister Julie was just over two years older than Maura and a great athlete as well. The two of them bonded over their drive and passion for athletics. Their father, Fred, would often coach both of them at soccer or track. Maura was so fast, she actually ended up setting the mile record her senior year of high school. She wasn't just athletic, though. She was also quite smart and excelled at school. It should come as no surprise that she was recruited by all the best schools during her senior year of high school. Julie was a sophomore at West Point at this time, and Maura, following in the footsteps of her sister, decided to attend West Point for college. So Maura attended West Point for two years before transferring to UMass Amherst her junior year. She wanted to be it's like a nurse. Old home days, geez. Yeah. <laughs> all the local places. Yeah, we we know all these places. Um, but so far, all this little small nugget of information away for later because her move to UMass could be an important puzzle piece in her disappearance. Before we get further into this, we want to share our primary source, which is the disappearance of Maura Murray. Uh, it's a docu series that aired on Oxygen. Maggie Freelang an investigative journalist, and Art Roderick, a retired U.S. Marshal, did this incredible deep dive into the case. And we highly recommend starting with this series if you're interested in continuing your research after our wonderful epi. Um, so I actually did not share with you that Maggie Freeling answered my DM. I cold DM'd her and she answered me. And I almost fainted while I was picking up my takeout. Support, <clears throat> your, support your local restaurants, everyone. Wow. I am sitting across from a celebrity. Are you going to share what you DM'd back, or is that, like, privileged information? Um, yeah, of course. But, dear Thrill Seekers, we have actually not reached the part of the case that I asked her about. So first, let's keep going, and then I will be sure to oh, you uh, little share. I, uh, <laughs> I have to keep the viewers interested. Make sure they listen to the important parts. Um, this is also great relationship advice. <laughs> yeah. Noted. Um <laughs> So, what do we know about Mora? At the time of her disappearance, Mora was in a very serious relationship with a guy named Bill Roche. The pair had met while Mora was at West Point, continuing to date long distance even after she transferred to UMass in 2002. Their relationship was a little rocky. Julie has alluded in interviews to the fact that the family did not actually care too much for Bill, and they thought he seemed very controlling. But Maura cared for him a lot. In fact, there were talks of the two getting married one day. However, before she disappeared, there were rumors circulating that Bill cheated on Maura. And this leads us to an important caveat to note. Maura's life was not in a great place at the time she disappeared. And I just want to point out, too, that there was also speculation that she had a relationship with her track coach at the same time. I know she had dated him when she was on a break from Bill, um, but... I just wanted to note that. So their relationship was rocky. I think that's the takeaway. Um, but yeah, we've, now we can continue. So remember how we mentioned that Mora had left West Point? Well, she did not leave by choice. Mora was caught shoplifting from the commissary at Fort Knox, a small item like lipstick or nail polish. Her friends later said that Mora did not even know why she did it, especially over such an insignificant thing. But she was given the chance to transfer to UMass after she was caught. And she just took this as an opportunity to start over. Unfortunately, Maura did not stay out of trouble. 
She used stolen credit cards to buy pizza. In Maura's defense, if I was going to commit credit fraud, I would 100% go down for something like pizza. <laughs> a whole, a lovely cheese pizza, pizza just, just for me. Too bad, like, that's probably copyrighted in a million, million places. <laughs> we said it in more than half Macaulay of Macaulay Culkin, reach out to us. Point. Yeah, if, if we're not, like, showing our commitment to Macaulay Culkin, I don't know what is. And to pizza. Connor ate a pizza, like, an hour ago? I did eat a pizza, Did like, you eat a whole ago. cheese pizza? I ate uh, a chicken broccoli Alfredo pizza. Mm, I, a whole I've, meat pizza I've, just for him. <laughs> a whole meat pizza just for me. But, okay, sorry, we're back away from our pizza tangent, but eventually the UMass police were essentially able to set up kind of like a sting operation. I think they they realized, like... Sting operation for, for pizza. pizza. Yeah. I mean, it's... See, even the UMass police recognize how important pizza is. She would totally is. have been our friend. She would have. Um, but anyway, Connor and I have not done that yet. I'm just kidding. We don't There's have plans time. to do it. But um, eventually, like, they caught Mora when she came down to collect the pizza. Um... But yeah, so Mora wasn't really able to stay out of trouble when she went to UMass. UMass did make a deal with her, though. If she could avoid further trouble for her remaining time at the school, the charges would drop from her record. And you have to think, her pro- her profession, I'm sure, played a huge part in her wanting to ensure that she avoids any more petty crime. Her plan was to be a nurse, after all. So two days before she disappeared, Mora was said to have been at a party. Whether she was drunk or not is unknown. But when she drove home from the party that night, Mora crashed her father's car. So it was like his brand new car. Oh, he was geez. in town for the weekend. And she had um, had borrowed it because her car was kind of on its last legs. Um, but she hit a guardrail and there was about like $8,000 of damage. So it was basically totaled. And her father, already really tied on money and then the process of having his home foreclosed, was obviously very upset with Mora, but he had told her... Like, they'll figure it out. And for the time being, she was going to just drive her old Saturn until they could go car shopping together. So let's jump ahead two days to February 9th. Mora was said to have been visibly upset after receiving a phone call. When asked about what was wrong, she only responded, my sister. Kathy, her older sister, the oldest of the family, did not give any real public interviews until the docuseries in 2017. So she had just gone out of rehab at the time, and her husband brought her to a liquor store on the way home. So I guess she confided to Maura about this when um, her and Maura were on the phone. And some have said that this may have deeply upset Maura. And and while I'm sure it did, like that's obviously a very heavy thing to talk about with your family, I don't think that this really explains her actions that followed on February 9th that we're going to get into. But we just wanted to bring this up because it is talked about a little bit, and um, you know, if she's in this place where things are already kind of tough for oh, yeah, her. yeah, it kind of shows, like, she's, like, uh, maybe had a, at a kind of a tipping point. Yeah, like a, a straw that broke camel's back. But yeah. I don't, I don't think that this is... Necessarily. Yeah, yet. this is not our final theory, but we just want to, we want to give you guys all the facts to make your own, um, guess and I guess... We're very thorough. Theory for what yeah, happened to we're her. We're very thorough with our research, you know Very us. thorough. You know us. <laughs> so, in the early afternoon... Uh, Maura sent an email to her professors that she would be unable to attend lectures as there had been a death in her family. So this was not actually true. Nobody in her family had died. Um, But Maura sent the email and left her dorm for the last time. Her belongings were reported to have been boxed up. But this might not be as strange as it sounds because this semester had just started. So did she not unpack or did she box them up? We won't ever really know. 
But on top of the box, there was an email printed out suggesting that she knew Bill had been cheating on her. And before you jump to conclusions, just wait because this case is only just beginning. After sending that email around 3 p.m., Mora jumps in her old car and drives to an ATM. At the ATM, she withdraws most of her money, $280. Well, she's... Yeah, I was like, wow, she really <laughs> could be in our friend group. She, she she's really just could. like us. Just like us. Um, so she withdraws all of her money, which was $280, from the ATM. She drives over to a liquor store to purchase alcohol. That's kind of ironic given the I know. thing about her sister, but moving on. Uh, not, not trying to pick on you, Mora. So she fills her back seat with boxed wine, vodka, and Kahlua. Ah, a woman after my own heart. And starts driving northbound to New Hampshire. In the docuseries we mentioned, Maggie times how long the drive should take, assuming Mora did not make any additional stops. Following the route that Mora took, ATM to liquor store, through Mass, dipping into Vermont, and finally ending up in New Hampshire, the drive should have taken Mora three hours. Yeah, that's a ways. And I mean, it's like a straight shot. It's not like, like if you, if you were to come to me and be like, oh, someone came into Boston. There's like a, you know, dozen ways you can yeah, get into Boston. Yeah, there's really not. There's part of New Hampshire you're, you're and like, Mass. You're on 93 and that's. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the, so it should have taken her three hours, which would have placed her at the crash site at 630. If you remember back to the beginning, Mora had crashed at nearly 730. So what happened in that hour? Did she stop for food? Did she meet a friend, run an errand, pick up forms to fill out about her accident two days prior? Well, her dad, like, reminded her. He was like, you're going to have to fill it out. Because they didn't call a policeman. Right. Yeah. Right. And why exactly was she headed up to New Hampshire? Her family had traveled in the area, sure, but she didn't seem to have any clear destination. Um, and this is where we begin to enter the rabbit hole. So... Boing, boing. <laughs> we're alice in wonderland we are uh, one last fact before we start getting into the theories that we want to provide you is mora um on february 9th called a bunch of like condo rentals in new hampshire so in like bartlett new hampshire um why she was looking to rent a condo we still don't know so was she familiar with the area yes her dad had like established that the family was very familiar with it because they liked to vacation there but was there a clear reason why she wanted to go there and why she wanted to rent space there? Right. No. So now that you have all the facts, we are from here forward going to be delving into the theories and potential explanations for what may have happened to Mora and why she was on the run. James Renner is an American author and journalist who comes up immediately when looking into the Mora Murray case. He was featured in parts of the docuseries as well, um, he wrote a book about the case called True Crime Addict, and he maintains a blog detailing pieces of the case. He's kind of like you, his personality. He's like, everyone in this case is lying. <laughs> I love him Everyone's already. a suspect. Love him. Um, but he's a bit controversial, though, and he has strong opinions about the case. His materials are incredibly helpful, and we credit his work for helping us with our research, and we will obviously link it below. But I think it is important to call out again that this case is not solved, and because of this, different people have very different opinions about what happened. So Renner pointed out that Fred Murray took over five years to give police um, like an interview. And when he did so, he arrived with two attorneys. So Fred Murray, again, is her father. To some, this may seem suspicious, but to others, that is just like a critical step that you would take when interacting with the police in any kind of capacity. Do we think Fred Murray is guilty in this case? 
No, we absolutely do not, but we can understand how easy it is to look at everything in this case under a microscope. With limited information and endless explanations, we caution you to explore, explore theories with us, but to remember that this is still an open case with a family hurting from the loss. So let's stop again on that fateful night in February. We know that by the time the police showed up on the scene, Mora was gone. That leaves a few different possibilities. One, she could have wandered off into the woods. Two, she ran away on foot. Or three, someone or multiple someones picked her up on the side of the road. Okay, so theory one, she wandered off into the woods. If you are familiar with New England weather, you would know that it is snowy and, and cold. up there in New Hampshire, oh, oh my God. it's freezing. Absolutely freezing. freezing. Um, it's snowy and cold from like December through March at least. Honestly, if we're being if we're being actually truthful with ourselves about being in the Englander, it's cold from like freaking September to July. <laughs> yeah, because people up there like that's the reason people vacation in the White Mountains because it's cooler. They're like, oh, we can ski in June. <laughs> exactly. You kind of can. Uh, you probably could. Um, <laughs> but February 9th, like this is the dead of winter. Yeah. Like all oh, my yeah. friends are going up there to ski now, and it's like, okay, well, they're going there because you need five layers of ski pants to to be outside. So February 9th, 2004, was obviously no exception. There was snow on the ground, and it was a chilly night. This presents the first hole in this case. There were no footprints in the snow. An initial theory was, like, maybe she ran off in the woods to avoid the police, since she could have been drinking. She had a lot of alcohol. Even if she wasn't drinking it, like, that night or drinking a lot of it, you know, if she's open containers of alcohol in her car, and she's crashed, yeah. like, she's going to get in trouble with the police. So some had theorized maybe she was suicidal and went in the woods to end her life. This theory, though, it does not make a lot of sense to us. And it doesn't make sense because, according to sources, Mora was not showing suicidal signs or signs of depression before she left on February 9th. Of course, this does not mean that she wasn't having mental health issues, but her family has come forward and said that they really don't believe she would think of taking her own life. Was she going through a tough time? Yes, but she was sociable and excited for her future. One of her friends from college even said Mora turned her turned in her homework the night before she disappeared. The semester had just started. There was no indication that this trip, in this friend's mind at least, was going to be her last. And I feel like the homework, like that's like the... Oh yeah, she's preparing the, for the next day or yeah. the day after or whatever. If you found out that you only had one day left on this earth, you wouldn't spend it Why would submitting you a homework assignment. Yeah. If you were me, you would spend it eating a lifetime supply of licorice. Anyway, um, or pizza, honestly. <laughs> uh, we do more than eat, we promise you. But anyway, mm-hmm. in Beautiful. addition to there being no footprints, there was also no body later found. And when search parties were brought in for her case and the area was searched over and over, a body was never recovered. If she wandered off, partially drunk, and died in the woods... Wouldn't her body be close to the scene? Yeah, you wouldn't think she would have gotten that far. And wouldn't it have been recovered by the search teams? So for these reasons, we are going to dismiss this theory from our working hypotheses. The LA Times published an article about cadaver dogs, because they obviously brought in a lot of cadaver dogs. Um, And in the article, they said, quote, Frost and snow may have the effect either of preserving or destroying a scent, depending on whether this occurs before or after the scent has been laid. End quote. So there is 
of course, the possibility, however slim, that the cadaver dogs could have missed her scent because of the weather conditions. But like I said, we, we really aren't like leaning towards this theory, but it's important to explore when combing through this case because th- there are a lot of people that do believe that maybe she just wandered off in the woods and right. they never found her body. So the second theory is that she ran away on foot. And if you remember back in the beginning, we had said that there were three neighbors with a vantage point of the crash. And none of them reported seeing a young woman walking or running by their house after the crash. Think about what would happen if you heard a crash right next to your home. Your eyes would be peeled. You'd be staring out the window. Like, they were probably watching. That happened to me when I was, like, I still remember. Like, the person was totally fine, but their car flipped in front of my house. And Mm -hmm. I was just, like, staring out the window. And my dad was like, okay. Although, to be fair, it also would have been, like, I mean, it's 730 now. Or it's 8 o'clock now. And it's pitch black outside. So... It would be dark. No, it would be dark. But I think they, the from the illustrations and stuff, it's kind of suggested that they had, I mean, there's probably like a bunch of floodlights on it. Yeah. yeah. She crashed on Amonwusik Road. It's part of Route 112. There are two directions she could have gone, east or west, but neighbors would have seen her. Uh, it's not like she crashed in a crazy, crazy intersection. It's a very secluded road where she could have traveled one of two directions. There was later a witness, though, that came forward and believes... Um, he, he may have seen Mora that night headed eastbound on Route 112. The Caledonian record, uh, it's like a local journal, um, says, quote, New Hampshire State Police Trooper um, Lieutenant John Scarinza said, a witness has come forward with information he may have seen Murray about four or five miles east of the accident scene. Uh, Scarinza said a man whom he declined to identify was returning from a construction job in the Franconia area when he spotted a young woman matching Murray's description hurrying east on Route 112 about an hour after her accident, end quote. So for us, the theory that she could have taken off on foot is unlikely, but maybe shouldn't be completely ruled out. She was, after all, an incredibly fast runner. And did she flee the scene to avoid having to talk to the police? Butch Atwood claims Mora did not seem intoxicated at all when he talked to her after the crash, but she could still have panicked and taken off. Although, if she was really drunk, like, you would think she's I, not going to run fast. I don't think she was drunk. I'm, like, yeah. confident. Well, I mean... And also, I'm, like, yeah, she's, I mean, Route 112 is, like, it's not a busy road, but it's kind of, like, um, the main route. Like, there's not really anywhere else to go. You know, or if she was running down the road... It's not even busy, but yeah, you're right. There's if she not was like running, she can, there's not another road. Yeah. Like, it kind of... That same theory of her running off into the woods. Eventually, she would have probably been found. Yeah. You know, because it's kind of, there's one road. <laughs> It's the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire. And um, I think, like, because she crashed her car, people are like, oh, she probably was intoxicated. And, and yeah. like I said, we don't know if she no, we don't. had anything in her system. But, I mean, the icy roads on a bend in New Hampshire. Oh, it's easy. Like, and if she was so upset about something, for whatever reason, distracted up there, we don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? Um, so Butch, though, he is a curious witness because he has changed parts of his story. So he's said, like, oh, I didn't see her run by, and then like, oh, I never said that, blah, blah, blah. But he's intimidating, so maybe Mora was just nervous to accept his help. Unfortunately, though, Butch passed away, um, so any like probing into his account of that night is, is impossible. So now, dear thrill seekers, please grab your carrots and get ready to jump deeper down the rabbit hole with us. This last theory, with one or multiple people that may have picked her up, is the most credible, but also the craziest. So James Renner, remember we mentioned him in the beginning? Love him. 
Um, I don't know if Connor would say that if he watched more than like five minutes of interviews with him. He, he seems he seems like he knows like he knows. Oh stuff. wait, no no no. He's I'm opinionated. Confused. I was thinking. Wait, this is the guy that runs the the blog. The blog, yeah. Okay. Um, but so he says that one of his theories is that Mora was pregnant. Because I guess she had looked up drinking effects on a child in her search history on her computer at school. One of her friends and classmates was quick to push back on this, though, because Mora was in the maternity rotation in her nursing program. She was probably just looking up something for her homework. Renner, though, as of this series in 2017, does believe Mora is alive. In fact, he and many others think that she may have fled to Canada. That's where we all, you know, when we're running, we're like, let's go to Canada. Yeah, she's like, I want to get a long-distance run-in. Um, mm-hmm. There have been potential sightings of women who could be Mora in Canada. And I'm not saying that this is not plausible, but it seems a little far-fetched. Mora is absolutely beautiful. She is like a petite woman with brown hair, and she's like dark green eyes. But I feel like it would be very easy for somebody to think they saw a woman matching her description. You know, she doesn't have like a distinct, like, body marking or yeah. you know well and how often does it happen in missing persons cases that you like hear about that it's like oh we followed up on all these leads all and they're all wrong you know and that being said this does give us the perfect segue to introduce the tandem driver theory this theory has been popularized in the Mora murray reddit universe the idea that maybe she staged the crash and got in a vehicle with somebody that she knew Maybe she even went to Canada. I think staging a perfect vanishing is near impossible. But this was almost 20 years ago. The week more disappeared was actually the week Facebook launched. We were like in fifth grade, as we said earlier. And that being said, Moore's mom was battling cancer at this time. She was really close with her family. And it seems kind of unlikely that she would disappear and never come to her mother's funeral a few months after this all happened. It does seem unlikely if she was able-bodied to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Or the thing I think that's hard with the disappearance theory, like, or the um, stage disappearance theory, is when you're 21 years old, if you're planning something like this, like, yes, there is a small possibility that she could have absolutely pulled that off and perfectly vanished into thin air. But, like, I'm thinking of me when I'm 21 years old. There's no way I'm not going to tell at least one person. Well, and at 21 years old, like, most of your friends know each other. Because you're always hanging out with people. You know, like, there are very few friends that you might have that none of your other friends know. You know, like, if she disappeared, wouldn't they notice if someone else that she knew disappeared? Yeah. You know, like, who knows? But it is interesting. Um... So police dogs tracked Mora's scent about 100 yards or less up the street. So this is the first piece of evidence we think that points to the idea that she got in a car. Whether voluntary or forced, she left the accident scene in a car. A woman who worked at Butson's grocery store in a neighboring town swore she saw Mora and her friends that night entering the store to buy some food. And remember, Mora had lots of alcohol in her car. Was she planning to meet up some with some friends, maybe, and hang out and party? So jumping back to her car for a second, though. There was a curious piece of evidence in her tailpipe. A rag was found hanging out um, of the tailpipe at the scene. Many were quick to believe somebody may have sabotaged her car, followed her, waited for her to stall so that they could then kidnap her. And while we believe that she, she was kidnapped, if that's our final theory, we think that the rag is misleading, um, and maybe it's kind of a red herring, 
Because Mora's car was old and would heavily smoke up, and in order to avoid attracting attention to it, her father later said in the docuseries that he had told her, like, put a rag in your pipe for short distances, and it'll help. And also, they, like, were able to talk to a mechanic. Um, We should, we can follow up with Winnie to confirm, but Uh it's very unlikely, they said, that a car would stall from just, like, a rag. Like, you know, if she... if it was like a solid object, I yeah, think. Yeah, really stuffed in there. Yeah, but just... like a potato. Sure, exactly. But a rag? I don't know. A potato. So, as Devin spoiled for you, we do think she was kidnapped. There are two huge things that we have not touched on that support our idea that she may have been taken. The first is that the search took 36 hours to begin. Her family was deeply upset, rightfully so, when it took law enforcement such a long time to get the investigation going. Initially, the case was not treated as a missing person case, which is why it took longer than it should have to get underway. And this has led many people to speculate that the police were somehow involved or botched the investigation. (sighs) Yeah. There are crazy long Reddit threads going off about this. Did the police take longer than they should have to get started? Absolutely. Do we think that's because they knew secret information or like were involved? Absolutely not. Tragically, the first officer on the scene has passed away, so it's not possible to talk further with him either. That being said, we think the police could have handled this investigation better, but we don't subscribe to the theory that it's because they are complicit or anything like that. It's impossible to talk about Moore's case without also talking about the other huge piece of evidence that suggests kidnapping or foul play, Brianna Maitland. Brianna was 17 years old when she disappeared in Vermont, close to where Moore was disappeared, and under eerily similar circumstances. Her car was found, abandoned, backed into a barn. This happened only four to five weeks after Moore disappeared. So was there a serial killer on the loose? We may never know. What we do know, though, is that it's easy to find missing persons cases in a close radius of Moore and Brianna. Brianna looked similar to Moore, too. Radiant, slender, light brown hair. Maybe both girls fit the description of this killer's profile. Could a friend have picked her up? Yeah, it's possible. But as we have alluded to, we think that there was foul play and kidnapping involved. If you, like us, spend so much time researching this case that your eyes cross, you will definitely have seen the theory of the Loon Mountain 3. This is a theory originally started by locals that has taken off about the case. Allegedly, there were three guys around Moore's age scheduled to work at Loon Mountain, which is a ski mountain if you're not uh, familiar, the day after her disappearance. None of them showed up to work the next day. Did they kidnap Mora? Did she go willingly? Maybe she accepted help from locals her own age because it seemed like a quote-unquote safer idea than to get into a bus with Butch. I mean, Butch is like, he looks like a six-foot, maybe yeah, six-foot-four. No, as a, a 20-something-year-old like, girl. Older man, That's yeah. understandable. But either way, some of these guys could have had malintent. Some think that they went to a party together and she overdosed or had an accident and they panicked. This theory is certainly in the realm of possibility. However, we want to discuss the final theory. The one we think is most likely, or at least some version of it. The A-frame theory. It's called the A-frame theory because uh, people think that Mora was killed in an A-frame house. So a man approached Fred Murray in 2006 with a rusty knife saying he found it in the glove compartment of his brother's car. He believed his brother may have killed Mora in the A-frame house he rented at the time. Dogs were later brought in and went nuts in a closet upstairs. Like dogs that were brought in to like... um, That's crazy. You know, smell human 
decay or remains. Um, in 2016, John Smith was hired as a like local private investigator for the family. Parts of the A-frame house had been remodeled since Morris' disappearance, but John had managed to get some of the wood chips from the closet, like the original closet. And in the docuseries, Maggie and Art were able to get them tested for DNA. They tested positive for a male's DNA and the DNA of a second person. It is unclear whether the second person was a male or a female. And this was a piece of evidence that I DM'd Maggie about. Oh, wow. Please share with us, your dear fans, our your findings, Dev. So sadly, Maggie said the sample did not have enough DNA for them to do a full profile. Oh, that's heartbreaking. It really is. However, don't lose complete hope in solving the case. So a lot of like crime episodes that have, have discussed this case and the docuseries were done in 2017 and 2018, and there have been some developments since then. So in late 2018, CBS published an article with an update about the investigation. Here is what they wrote, quote, on November 25th, and then again on December 1st, two different trained cadaver dogs responded to possible human remains in a basement just a stone's throw from where Mora crashed her car in 2004. Fred Murray had received a tip about the basement after the crash. Neighbors told him they believed somebody buried a body there right around the time that Mora went missing. The owners, however, never answered the door to let Fred inside. He tried multiple times over the course of 14 years, end quote. Oh my God, that's insane. In April 2019, though, the police were able to dig up part of the basement. Okay, That the, was going to be my next question is yeah. why were the police not involved in this? So they were, so the theory is that her body was buried there and then cement was poured over it. Okay. So they were able to dig up part of the basement after they obtained a warrant. It was, it, it was challenging for them to get a warrant. Yeah, because there's not really, it's all kind like of hearsay. Speculation, yeah. Yep. So an article on WMUR says, quote, they cut that area, removed the concrete, and then searched several feet down and covered the area and beyond where the disturbed ground had been. And they located absolutely nothing other than a small piece of what looks like to be like potentially pottery or maybe part of old piping, end quote. And I can definitely see why the dead end here would be frustrating for police. But I still kind of think the locals might be onto something. Exactly. And I think they are too. I think... They know the area, and if you're listening right now, imagine if somebody went missing in your hometown, especially if, like both of us, your hometown is small. Yeah. Like, of course, locals are going to have theories, and a lot of the theories are probably, like, just that, theories, but they might be partially credible because they know the ins and outs of the area. Yeah, and they talk to each other in ways that you wouldn't necessarily talk to the police, like, you know, sitting around, people's porches, people talk. And I think, like, I'm not saying that the basement theory is the be-all, end-all for this, but if they only dig, dug up part of the basement, like... So was that part of the warrant? Like, did they only get a warrant for this section? Or why did they not dig up they the whole basement? They didn't, like, yeah, they didn't, like, unearth the whole basement. They dug up a corner of it. There wasn't a lot more information on why. They, huh. the, the police have been a little bit secretive about what's released because it's an open Oh, yeah. No, it makes sense. And it's not that old. I mean, it's old, but it's not that old. Yeah. Um, so... Dear Thrill Seekers, this is our final theory. We think that Mora was picked up by somebody local to the area and then most likely killed not too far from the scene. But as we said in the beginning, this case is still open. If you or anybody you know has tips or leads, make sure to contact the Haverhill, New Hampshire police. And we have full hope that the Murray family will get justice and closure for their sister and daughter and friend. We'll be back next week with a new epi. If you've enjoyed today's case, please give us a follow at the Mass Hysteria Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, 
the Mass Hysteria podcast. And please, if you don't mind, give us a rating or review and or review. Preferably both. Preferably both. Preferably witty. Yes. Very witty. We will read and laugh. We read them all, just so you know. And it Multiple times a day. We do. <laughs> it's a good, like, injection of, you know, uh, confidence. It does, it does nothing for our show. It just helps our ego. I mean, it totally helps our show. We're not narcissistic <laughs> at all. But anyway, it, this all tremendously helps us. So please find us Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts. Se- send us a DM with your theory. Spotify, wherever you listen. Send us a DM. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a, a carrier pigeon with a letter. Just... Any kind of contact. We love you all. We love you all. (laughs) And we can't wait to talk to you all next week. But until then, until then. Until then. Until then. Until then, stay away from Loon Mountain, maybe? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And next week, uh, we'll be out of New Hampshire. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.